Are you ready to go offside? Because it's time for Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts, and myself, Doug Ireland. All right, we are excited to be back with another midsummer sit-down with my co-host, as always, Doug Ireland. Doug, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing excellent. Uh, it's always nice to be talking about hockey and a nice, you know, cold conversation when it's boiling hot and humid outside. Nice to be talking about hockey instead. Kind of like brings the temperature in my brain down a little bit. So I like that. <laughs> well, we are lucky to be joined tonight by none other than Patrick Johnston, Canucks reporter for the Province Sports and the Vancouver Sun. Patrick, how is your evening going now that you're done with the train? Yeah, oh, great. I'm doing well, gentlemen. It's a beautiful evening here in Vancouver, and uh, I'll, I'll probably leave it at that. I know people hate hearing about uh, Vancouver and the weather and the mountains and all that, so <laughs> let's, let's get at it. I appreciate this analogy of coldness. Um, let's get at it, because it would help my brain. My brain has is, is, is been thinking a lot of thoughts. I'm really extending this analogy badly. Well, you know what? For many Leafs fans today, it is July 1st all over again. Uh, The breaking news today, the Toronto Maple Leafs signed seven players on this, the July 1st of the July 24th. I want to know your guys' instant thoughts on the signings of the seven players. Uh, Ranges anywhere from players like Pontus Auberg to Kenny Augustino, Nick Shore, and then a bunch of depth, probably for the Marlies. But I want to know what your guys' thoughts are. Um, were these deals already done, which is what I think was happening? They just needed the Sparks trade to facilitate it all. Um, also, Neuvers signed to a PTO. Um, what do you guys think of July 1st so far? Uh, to be honest, guys, I, I found myself thinking a lot about um, Lawrence Gilman because, you know, you mentioned the Sparks trade, and I actually have a story uh, up on our site, provincesports.com, about this. Just kind of reflecting back a bit on... Um, you know, basically what he was able to do on the eve of the 2010-11 season in similar terms, where the Canucks were facing a cap crunch, they're obviously a team that was very, very deep. And at that point, we thought the Canucks were going to have to trade Kevin Bieksa. Uh, but then uh, Sammy Sallow somewhat fortuitously managed to blow out his Achilles and many was out for a long-term injury. And it meant that they got to use LTIR. They got to keep everybody. They did a bunch of roster juggling. The season actually started with technically with guys that were never actually going to play for the team that season. Um, but it was all in all because they were trying to maximize cap space and create as much sort of uh, space to uh, essentially build up over the season. And, you know, that's been kind of the take on the Sparks trade. And, of course, yeah, like you said, you know, obviously you sign seven guys that are, you know, mostly – set to play for the Marlies, you sign them in the middle of July, are you really telling me those deals weren't all done, you know, weeks ago? Um, but it is about this uh, sort of play to come, I think, that we're all expecting now, tied in with the, you know, the you know at some point re-signing of Mitch Marner. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's a case in point of what I think uh, teams with money can do, teams that are run smartly. And, you know, obviously Gilman is the guy that we give the credit to out here, but, you know, Shout out to his uh, his colleague Brandon Pridham, who of course ran Central Registry and and knows the CBA, you know, inside and out, possibly better than Gilman even does, and that's saying a lot. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those ones where, like I said, you're reminded of uh, what a sort of uh, chess. You know, it's a team that thinks about moves in chess, and they're not uh, they're not just reacting to their own situation. 
Doug, before we get into uh, Lawrence Gilman and Brandon Prinham a little further, what is your thoughts on the Leafs' uh, big haul today, nailing seven players in one day? Well, I mean, like t- you're talking 24 hours ago, people were saying that, oh, this is all so they can make a deal with Marner. And I don't know if, if that how clear it could be that that's not entirely what what making that room was about. Uh, if you go out, go out and sign seven guys, I can't I can't do in the math. I think it adds up to to anything we gained from putting uh, Clarkson on the LTIR. So I, obviously that's not what all this is about. Uh, it, I, I agree with Patrick. The you the, this is a statement signing. Uh, as much like you don't go and sign seven guys on the same. That's just not doesn't happen that often for one. And just it's definitely a statement that they were making, uh, signing the ball on the exact same day. I it's obviously it, it has to have been something that's been in planning for weeks. Yeah, I definitely agree. Now, the thought that I have with Brandon Pridham and Lawrence Gilman is, um, you know, this here with the CBA coming up and being renegotiated, this is something you see the Maple Leafs do with their financial muscle, flexing it being able to acquire these LTIR players to put them further over the cap limit with the LTIR deals, um, you know, giving them the financial flexibility to do what they did today. Also, as Patrick alluded to, the Mitch Marner deal, which we will talk about a little bit later on with the Brock Besser deal as well, still to come. Um, Wondering, with the CBA coming up, is this something that is going to be changed? Is this something that our teams are going to look at and say, this is unfair, you know, we're looking for parity, or is this just something that's just going to be there and nobody's really going to bat an eye to it because we see teams that are in the basement, like Arizona, go and pick up a prong or a Datsuk, a Bolin, to get to the cap floor, and that's perfectly fine to do. But now we see teams on the other end of the spectrum going over. So, guys, do we see this being something that is going to be written where, hey, you can't do this, this is not something that's going to be allowed? It's, it's funny, you know, that you mentioned all those contracts, and it's something that's been a bit of a... Uh, talking point, I guess, out here, obviously, in the wake of Roberto Luongo retiring and officially retiring, and, and the Canucks being hit with uh, the cap recapture penalty because of that. Um, it's sort of a reminder of the sort of the weird, the weird ethics, I suppose, of the NHL, and that you know this notion of spirit of the rules, and that was why cap recapture became a thing, and and you know that Gary Bettman was so opposed to it. And, it was a talking point for a while. I mean, they never overtly said they were going to retroactively punish contracts they didn't like, like Luongo's, like, you know, Ilya Kovalchuk's deal. Um, but, you know, at the same time, there was, like I said, there was a warning. The thing with, you know, all these all these sort of, you know, cap hits being traded around to sort of uh, make it seem like, uh, you know, other teams are playing by the rules, like, like the Arizona Coyotes. You know, no one, no one really seems to talk about it in terms, or at least in the same terms. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of anger, I suppose, about the old backdiving contracts, but there was notable, you know, anger. Like, Gary Bettman didn't like it, and, we, you know, we heard a lot from Brian Burke about it. And to me, the thing that's interesting is that if, if this weren't being done, say, by the Leafs, if this were, if this were being done by perhaps another team, uh, you know, whether they had financial clout or not, but to be able to sort of just carry, I mean, David Clarkson is only owed a million dollars at this point. At least that's chump change for the Leafs. So that's not really the argument there. But, you know, they've been able to carry the Horton contract for a long time because of the fact that, you know, essentially they knew that they could they could sort of afford to do that. Um, and, you know, you know, if it were any other team, 
I wonder if it would be more of an issue. But, you know, this is the Leafs. The, the league needs the Leafs to be good. And, you know, ironically enough, it was Brian Burke who, uh, you know, was certainly the, the visible face of, of cap recapture when he was with the Leafs. And that there was clout to that, you know. And uh, I, I do find myself wondering, you know, at the end of the day, if this were another team that was essentially – stringing things along and had now two players on their roster who clearly were retired but weren't officially so, you know, would this would this be a bigger deal? Uh, you know, especially, like I said, given the fact that, you know, the NHL needs the Leafs and the Leafs are going to want to do this. I almost feel like maybe they're just going to get an extra pass on this. Doug, what are your thoughts? i got a couple things to weigh in in a second, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. Oh, um... I mean, like it, it's it's obvious that this is cap manipulation. Like, there's no question that that's that's what's happening, right? So, I can't see that the way the CBA is written is going to st- like th- this can't be how hockey is going to continue through the next CBA. Like, there needs to be a soft cap. There's oh, the hard cap. Just it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Uh, the players aren't going to want it. Teams like Toronto aren't 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 benefiting benefiting as much as they they should or could be from all the revenue that they, they pull in and all the attention they bring to the league. Like, the Leafs are basically the Yankees of the NHL. Um, but, I mean, you have, again, you have teams like uh, like small market teams. Like, we're going to say, I'm going to just pick out Carolina off the top of my head, even though that might actually not be the best example. Uh, but the small market teams, uh, they want the cap. Big market teams don't want the cap. It doesn't make sense to me that we're going to handcuff the teams that – bring more prestige and attention to the league and it like i said the, the players aren't into it i just i can't see the way things working the way they are now continuing through another cba like there's just no way just a quick thought on that too i mean i, I do think it's an interesting question because you know i think on the whole you know we don't you know i was talking to people who in the know about this and you know you, they pointed out you don't hear a lot of grumbling about revenue sharing you know i mean revenue sharing was an issue once and it doesn't it's not really a topic that comes up anymore but uh, so that kind of suggests to me anyway that you know on the whole owners are reasonably happy with the structure i think uh i think they're always going to be interested in figuring out their bottom line and i i to go back i mean to me so much about i mean there's always been this framing that that a lot of the CBA stuff and the cap is about is about in many ways protecting smaller teams, but it's also about, to be honest, it, it there is a reason why they're kind of like, big teams kind of like it because it does actually increase increase their bottom line, which I know is a bit weird, implicit, um, and I don't think, but I, I don't think that's as big a deal as it is as you were suggesting for the players because to me that is the real X factor. You know, we saw it this year with the fact that the players didn't want to. Uh, didn't want to have an increase in the salary cap. They really wanted to sort of say, listen, we want to see the numbers that we're actually getting paid being actually closer to the numbers that we're putting down on our contract. And, uh, you know, to me, that at the end of the day, that is the real question about that's going to drive everything. What what do the players, you know, want to see being their win out of the next, uh, the next, the next CBA and, and, you know, the, I think it's pretty clear what the owners want, but what what do the players really want their you know sort of next stage to be? How much do they want to have some flexibility and how much they make? You know, and uh, I, I look at how other leagues do it, and I know, for instance, say the NBA, where there's a lot more sort of flexibility. Uh, you know, we also see that 
there's a there's a desire from I think the NHL to not go in that direction, not have essentially the players running the show as they you know quite clearly are in the wake of the Kawhi Leonard Paul George situation. Um, I, I think there's a real desire to kind of keep things tight, to keep teams being these sort of long view items that are, where players are there for a while. I think that helps also in the sort of the marketing of the game. Um, I do think it's really going to be in the players' court to figure out what's going to happen in the next round of uh, negotiations. Well, the thing with the uh, players not raising the cap or you know going to the full limit this year, uh, a lot of owners understood why players, in a business sense, didn't want to do that and actually respected the players' decisions to do so, even though most of those owners' general managers did not like the fact the players didn't invoke that because it didn't raise the cap to the projections, but the owners could respect why they did it and the business reasons behind it. And most owners said if they were in the player's position, they would have done the same thing. So you could see that maybe there's not that much, you know, of a chasm between the owners and the players as once was thought. Um, And from what I've heard and what I've heard from, you know, Elliot Friedman on 31 Thoughts and just, just around listening to different things is neither side really wants to head towards uh, another lockout, even if it being a shorter one, because there isn't really many hills to die on. Like you just spoke about the revenue sharing, and then obviously the players, the league has already sat down and showed them what it's going to be with the Seattle money, what it's going to be with the next US TV deal. So the players know what to expect if they bump it up here, if they bump it up there, or when they should and shouldn't. Because they've seen those projected numbers and what can happen and where the cap is going to be. So there's really no reason not to sign the CBA and extend it unless there's small issues inside like going to the Olympics or you know something to do with contracts or something like that. But there does not seem to be a revenue-related hill to die on this time like last time. Well, that'll make uh, that should make negotiations go much smoother. Uh, money always seems to be the sticking point whenever there's a lockout in any major uh, sport. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to hear more about uh, concussion safety and all that jazz. Uh, but I can't. I also can't see anybody making that uh, as a, a hill to die on, as uh, as you guys put it. Well, Patrick, one thing I want money, to. Sorry, I just oh, want to quickly say I do think that I think that. TV money question is actually an interesting one. I, you know, obviously, you know, it, it, it's clear to me that the league has, has a feeling that there is a there is sort of a payday to be had there. I'm a bit more skeptical, just given, you know, I'm a guy that looks at a lot of other sports. Obviously, you know, people pay attention to me on Twitter. I do write a bit about rugby, especially for instance, but soccer's in there. And and part of that, you know, looking at those two global sports is, is the way the kind of landscape is shaped. And it's all driven by originally, uh, you know, a huge golf contract that was signed in the UK that, that was tied into the US. And it was kind of going to have this huge knock on effect. And it's already started affecting other sports. And I just find myself wondering how much money is actually still out there? Are there these, these big, I mean, there was such a big escalation, obviously, in like the NFL deal. You know, we saw that. Baseball still has a big contract. Obviously, the NBA has a huge contract. And I just find myself wondering with the way. Um, broadcasting is shifting, you know, away in the long term, away from sort of traditional, you know, cable consumption, that sort of thing. I mean, there's always going to be the viewership. Uh, I do find myself wondering if that is going to be a sticking point because if if the league is sort of banking on getting a big payday, 
you know, if that plays out, great, good for them. The players will love that too. But I, I'm not necessarily sold on it being a slam dunk deal, despite what I've sort of been hearing from the league uh, that, that they may be feeling that way. Listen, do you think for a second that any major network in the United States is not looking right now at Sportsnet and watching them cut ties with big-name yeah. personalities like Doug McClain, um, you yeah. know, the rumblings of Don Cherry, you see uh, Bob McCowan leaving, and a lot of that seems to be tied into the fact they spent so much money on the NHL deal that now that they're starting to lose out on it. And one person told me, it's almost like Sportsnet is kind of bleeding money on the hockey side, and they're trying to yeah. find a way to stop it. So you tell me for one second, those big entities in the States are not sitting there and saying, oh, wait a minute, this is not as big as a cash cow as we think it is. Maybe we should step back and not award such a big deal. And you know what? Like you said, if they get the deal they're looking for, that is great. But like I said, they have a little bit of proof in the pudding right now watching what's happening with Sportsnet. And hopefully... Something comes good of it, but I think it's going to be a lot less than the NHL was expecting. I can tell you that there is a, they're, they're leaving a lot of uh, viewership and therefore advertising dollars on the table. There are so many people that watch uh, NHL streams illegally one way or another. They find, they find an online stream of a game just because there's so many blackout restrictions and, and, and that type of thing, and people can't watch the, the, TV, uh, the, uh, the, the games that they want on the devices they want. Uh, it's 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 like cable is dying, and sports live sports is propping it up. Uh, I watched the Blue Jays uh, game that was broadcast on YouTube yesterday, and it was damn convenient. Like I got up to to go to the bathroom, and I I just put the the, the game on on my phone, and I didn't miss anything. Like you can't you can't make like uh, although there is a, a Bell Five app that that goes on your phone. It's again you're subject to those blackout restrictions. Places a lot of the teams in in Canada, uh, Toronto specifically, we've had so many years where the team wasn't successful that people have become like secondary fans of other teams, and they struggle to get like cheap, accessible access to those games. They're and they're just they're leaving viewership, they're leaving advertising uh, money on the table. In my opinion, uh, yeah, I think they need to look at how they can modernize. The, the broadcast in general. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, they hired uh, Kyle Bukoskis. I hope I'm saying his name right. And I thought that was like them starting to take a step in the right direction, hiring like young talent instead of old white guys, so to speak. And uh, like they need to, they need to find a way to appeal to to the younger generations, to all the the immigrant population uh, in Toronto and, and many of the other major cities. And they just aren't doing that, uh, especially not trying to force everybody to pay for Bell Five TV or Rogers uh, Rogers Cable. What do you think on that, Patrick? I just, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the challenge remains, you know, that that there is a, obviously a core that uh, is used to showing up at one time, but there's there are more and more people, as you guys have alluded to, that there's a sort of a, you know, a, a digital reorientation, shall you say, shall we say, and, and that, you know, to make it all work is that there's there's got to be a lot of different... There's got to be a lot of like a lot of creative thinking, and then it, you know the, the base as it still is is based on advertising. But you know, if, if, you know, we're seeing this especially with sort of you know traditional um, you know traditional TV that you know there's more and more you know we we're used to watching stuff on Netflix, and there's no ads on Netflix, right? So yeah. you know if you're yeah. watching something delayed, you know off 
somehow off your regular cable, you're just not, you know, you're, you're skipping a lot of that stuff. And so they're still trying to figure all that out. And at some point they got to pay for it. So whether that means, you know, the sort of further rise of, of, uh, of subscriber, you know, driven pay apps like, like the zone or what have you. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm an I, MLB I think TV that's the way guy. Like go. I've been on MLB TV forever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I really, I, I've always enjoyed their service. It's a good service. You know, yeah, I saw the YouTube obviously had the broadcast yesterday. Um, you know, it's done right, it works, but it's still, you know, there's still a large portion of the audience that's not sort of attuned to watching games that way. Yep. Um, the fact that there is still, as you noted, I think really well, that there's still a large portion of people who are chasing illegal streams. I mean, I, I, I think about, you know, the, the sort of depths of the, that era, you know, 10 years ago when we had still had to get down, like, specific apps on our computer to make all that work and getting through VPNs and stuff like that. And now it's obviously a little more streamlined and so i think that probably helps with the fact or that helps people find it better that clearly is going to be a challenge in the new era because of course there's no illegal cable streams really i mean it was an old that was a thing back in the day but i don't think there's people sitting <laughs> yeah. trying to figure go get out a get scramble box so, yeah exactly right i don't think anybody's really doing that anymore but it certainly exists online so yeah it's, it's an interesting uh interesting situation for sure and i think like i said that that's going to be a big factor in however that new TV contract plays out. For sure. Well, one thing I wanted to touch on about the Roberto Luongo situation way back about 10 minutes ago, um, basically, um, Patrick, I'm going to quote you on this one here. You know, it's amazing what can happen when you don't need guys to retire. And I feel you <laughs> might have been alluding to the fact that Florida was saying to Roberto Luongo they wanted him to retire. They did not want him to sit on LTIR because obviously they didn't want to yeah. pay out the money. Um, you know, so I know that was a tongue-in-cheek kind of shot at the fact that Toronto can pay yeah. these guys to sit around and do nothing. Yeah. Um, my thought was okay. to this, I mean, you know, you know Roberto Luongo isn't going to play and a team like Florida couldn't. Why didn't Florida go out and try to search a deal, maybe even with Vancouver, and then let Vancouver set him on LTIR and use that cap space. Um, I don't know if that could have happened, but it would have saved the cap recapture. It would have saved the Panthers paying it. I mean, there's also numerous other teams that would like to get to the floor, and this is a contract that can do so. I don't know why the Panthers didn't do that, unless it was an ultimate Dale Talon saying, hey, Vancouver, let me stick it to you. I think at the end of the day, I think it was as, as much. There's a few different things. Part of I, you know, I wrote a bit about this, and and while I think the Panthers would tell you that no, there wasn't anything sort of uh, there was no ulterior motive. This was really just about Roberto wanting to hang up the skates. But I, you know, you kind of say, come on, like the guy, like every, there are there are so many other examples of players who quite clearly, you know, were retired. I mean, Marion Hosa fine maybe he was allergic to his equipment but all of a sudden he can't play anymore you know like there's just there's just examples of guys out there who who had to retire you know essentially say i can't play anymore in similar circumstances but didn't say the word retire they were very careful about it and the, you know that there was a short-term advantage for the panthers to, to sort of get them off the books because they essentially were trying to clear the decks as much as possible to to get Bobrovsky and Panarin in. Obviously, that didn't work out. So it's kind of a moot point at this point. But, you know, the the, the fact is, is that 
Francis, you know, Luongo, yeah, sure, they probably could try to move on his cap hit, but I also find myself wondering if 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 there was sort of that, you know, if it was a statement as much as anything about the sort of tightness of the, the tightness of the of the field, shall we say, at that point, and the days leading up to free agency, you know, how many teams really were going to, were going to be interested in adding that kind of player? There was a fair bit of uncertainty over a few different uh, contracts, a few different players. So that that to me was the other aspect. Was it was just kind of how 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 a, a salary floor uh, type scenario? You know, would the Senators have gone for that? Do you know what I mean? I mean, it, there were a few people that sort of asked. I mean, we asked Jim Benning out here when it happened. Said, Did you actually, you know, did you try to appeal to the league and basically say, "Come on, guys, this rule is ridiculous." Like, no, it hasn't been applied anywhere else. You know, can we get some kind of relief? And we essentially, you know, Benny basically said, no, the rules are the rules, and, and I'm not I'm not going to worry about it. It is what it is. Here we are. But you had to know the Canucks were pissed off because, I mean, first of all, it's, it, you know, cynically it's the old regime, not that that's a real rationale, but from their standpoint it's like, well, it wasn't even our fault, and now you're punishing us. And second of yeah. all, you know, it's, it's kind of like, What's this all for? What was the purpose? I mean, that's an old argument, um, I suppose. But, yeah, I mean, you could have maybe, I suppose, the Canucks, if they wanted to, they could have maybe called them and said, hey, can we just convince Roberto to unretire and just we'll trade for his contract and he can just sit around and we'll just LTIR him for the next three years. I, I think that's a scenario that, you know, that was, was perhaps on the table, but certainly we've never had any suggestion of it that they actually pursued it in any I think this just goes. Definitely. This just goes back to what we were talking about. Like the salary cap needs to be changed. You can't. You can shouldn't be able to manipulate it this way. You just shouldn't. It doesn't make sense. It's frustrating for fans who like to follow this sort of thing and this aspect of of how the teams put together. It's got to be frustrating for the players who just want to announce their retirement. Like I'm sure there's at least yeah. a few guys that just want to be like, yeah, I'm retired, and maybe get their jersey number retired, have a nice little ceremony, and put a cap on their careers. And instead, they're pretending yeah. they have. Oh, I don't. Want, I got to be careful what I say here. Instead, they're uh, they're saying they have conditions that they may or may not have. I'm, I don't really don't want to point any fingers yeah. at anybody, but yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out the other thing you guys were talking about earlier too about the situation about the spirit of the rules. I'm gonna laugh because I, I said that the NHL may look into it, and then I thought about this. Chris Pronger, while on LTIR, worked for the NHL. James, are you there? Yep. There. I think we've lost James. Give me a Am moment. Am I here? here. Oh, okay. Hey, James, you there? Hello. Yeah. I'm here. I can hear you. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So, anyways, I'll re- rehash that point. We can edit it. Um, so, you guys were talking about the spirit of the uh, the rule on these things, and I said, you know, the NHL may look into this. Um, Chris Pronger, while on LTIR, worked yeah, for the exactly. NHL. So, I mean, yeah. obviously, the NHL knew what was going on was a part of the fact that knowing he was still on LTIR with the team but had no problem with it. So I guess it goes back to what you were saying. You know, They're probably not going to bat an eye at it because they've had a hand in it, so to speak. So how can you punish anyone when you've employed someone on LTIR? You know, So you know he is readily retired, but hey, he, he still is a member of the Arizona Coyotes guys. He, he's, still, he's still a player over there. So obviously you, you can't force a heavy hand on someone else 
while employing someone that's in the same situation. Who are they trying to trick? Like the we the fans know it. Yeah. The, the reporter reporters know yeah. it. The players know it. The owners know it. What what is why is there this bread and circuses show going on? It's just ridiculous. Because sometimes they hope that you forget. Yeah. And that's all. They, they just hope you forget. And then when they go and announce it, then everybody comes out and the pitchforks come out. And everybody starts pointing out every little nuance of these things that have happened over the years. And then, of course, you probably hear Vancouver come out as well and say, well, we shouldn't be paying the cap recapture. And it would open a whole can of worms, which is probably why the NHL will never step in. Yeah. But one thing I want to ask Patrick you guys have Brock Besser, who is an RFA, who is not signed. We have Mitch Marner. I want to ask you one question. Yeah. Who blinks first, Marner or Besser? Oh, Besser, 100%. I think, I think now, that's a scenario. I, think, I just think, because the, I think because the Marner the Marner situation, you know, there's obviously the Leafs have now written themselves a bit of a roadmap in terms of how they think it's going to play out. Um, but I think, I just think the Besser, the Besser scenario is, the teams aren't that far apart at the end of the day. Um, there is a little bit of sort of wiggle room in terms of uh, what, you know, each team is asking for. But on the whole, it's it's really not like a shocking situation. They're not like they're millions apart like it was at one point. It sounded like with, with at least from Marner's side. Um that's a, it's not even really, I don't even know if it's necessarily a case of blinking, I think. It's, it's just literally that they've got to kind of hammer down, the, you know, how many years this is going to be. And, uh, you know, like, Besser doesn't have a whole lot of leverage either. I mean, Marner did have theoretically the advantage of being able to, uh, to uh, you know, get, get an offer sheet. I mean, Besser never... It's complicated, and a lot of people I don't think know this, but Besser was not eligible to receive uh, an offer sheet, even though he's a restricted free agent, based on essentially That's correct. when he signed his contract. So you know, yeah, that it's years of service, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it was it was basically you know because he signed his deal and agreed to have it um, agreed to have his first year burned the year and burn his first year, I should say, in the season he signed it. Um, that essentially turned it into, yeah, a service time issue, and and as a result, yeah, he's he's doesn't doesn't have uh, he's essentially not eligible for an offer sheet. So you know he's not going anywhere. He doesn't have a whole lot of leverage from that standpoint. So um, you know, I, I that that I mean, to me, in a nutshell, is exactly why at the end of the day, you know, the Canucks are essentially going to win this one. I think, and. Um, and, and there's no real sort of argument on that one. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be that complicated. Marner, I think, is still a bit more complicated, and there's still more ego involved, I think. Well, the other problem I see here is with Marner and with Besser, um, there's always the question of who is next on each team. Um, for right. me, I feel like Mitch Marner's probably going to take a two-year bridge deal at 8.5 per. And the reason why I say that is, Everybody likes to put on their future goggles and say, hey, guess what? In two years' time, we'll have X amount of cap space more. We can pay you more. The cap will be up. Here's what we'll offer you. Same thing I'm thinking will apply for Besser, only because you guys have a lot of contracts that are up there. Um, you know, you look at, um, well, I can't even remember any of their names. I believe it's Beagle, uh, Roussel. Um, you guys are trying to move Erickson. Um, but then you have to look at the fact you guys have Elias Pettersson, who 
is taking the league by storm year one. Obviously, he's only going to get better as he gets older. And then a gentleman named Quinn Hughes is another player that will probably command a pretty high price tag. These guys that are coming in off their ELCs, it's not like before where you get a slight bump up and we see what you got. It's now they're jumping into the full paydays and then on the later end of their careers, they're not getting paid as much. Um, you know, you're taking league men like a Jason Spezza just to play. So maybe you're not going to hit that home run anymore at age 29. So teams now have to be cognizant of that. And I think you're going to start seeing that with players like Marner and Besser, where teams are going to try to position themselves better. With Marner, they keep saying that he wants a five-year deal. Well, no team in their right mind is going to walk Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, and William Nylander to free agency in the exact same year. (laughs) Um, I don't know the contract structure that well for for Vancouver, but I can assume there's going to be some sort of strategy done with Besser as well to not only get him locked up, but either to maneuver the cap because that is what this is all about now. Like you said earlier, it's a consistent chess game of trying to figure out a move ahead before the move happens. Pretty much, yeah. No, I mean, it is the fun thing about, you know, I was looking at the, I was looking at the Leafs cap friendly page and, you know, there are obviously lots of hurdles to deal with, but you still look at it and it's a pretty beautiful thing to look at given, you know, how many, how many, you know, sort of young players on young, on, you know, nice contracts they have and just the flexibility they built for them. You know, they don't have a whole bunch of big contracts on the back end. They got a bunch of, you know, things they can shuffle around in the next couple of years. Um, they, they've set themselves into a nice position, even with the ongoing Martner headache. It could be, you know what, the way the way Leafs luck seems to turn, uh, I almost can see that happening just because that just seems to be the way that <laughs> any kind of contract negotiation seems to go for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Vancouver, uh, I think you, you guys have a better chance of handling that the way a rational team would and not like crazy Leafland seems to handle st- <laughs> stuff like this. Uh, you guys need to follow more well, people I mean, on Canuck Twitter then. <laughs> oh, no. Don't get me, don't get well, me started I was about on Twitter. To say, I was about to say Jim Benning, Jim Benning has been uh, not exactly lauded for his past couple of uh, free agent trips down the, mm. the, the down the lane there. Like I mentioned mm. earlier with Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel. I mean, this year, you look at it, I mean, I wouldn't be too hard-pressed to be upset about Tyler Myers. Um, you know, the term is a little concerning. Um, and then Michael Furland, I mean, 3.5 per for four years. I mean, that is something most teams would eat, I mean, for what he brings. And if he can be consistent, it's definitely something to add. Now, the trade he made for JT Miller, that kind of made me pause for cause because that was a steep price for JT Miller. It, it was. And, I mean, Miller will make them better. But, uh, you know, the, the real challenge that um, – is that uh, you know they they they've built themselves a really kind of narrow edge to walk and to make it work they're going to have to you know have a lot of things play out right. It's the same thing with Myers. I mean Myers is Myers is you know he's all right, but he's not going to be the kind of the major sort of diet, you know, meter mover that they want him to be. And uh, you know at the end of the day, it's about essentially them hoping that uh, they hit a whole, whole bunch of home runs and, with their young guys, and it's entirely possible they will. Um, but there's definitely, there's definitely, um, there's definitely, I don't know, there's teams I'd rather be, and I think one of 
still, I think, nonetheless, I think if I'm in charge of a team, I'd rather be the least. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, another thing that was done by your, your GM out there in Vancouver, and a lot of people seem to be uh, lauding him for it um, mm-hmm. and excited, especially, um, you know, like Bob McKenzie or any of the draft guys, is um, getting Vasily Podkolzin. Podkolzin. Um, yeah, I know he's. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got two years uh, left with the uh, the KHL team he's with, but um, he's supposedly one of the most skilled players in the draft. And even if Jim Benning isn't around, you know, in two years to see this guy come to fruition, I mean that's a pretty nice parting gift right there. If he pans out to be what he's supposed to be, I know they've uh, they definitely drafted well, and that's something good for the future. But uh, when it comes, yeah, I mean that's they, you know two years away. You know, Scout State could play in the league now. He was a bit of a surprise pick, given that that wasn't necessarily who they've been talking about. But uh, yeah, no, he's, he's he, he is a good. They've done well in the first round the last few years. It is very much about finding those guys around the edges and how that all plays out. But uh, no, he's uh, it's, it's you know, as I've said since I started doing this job a year ago, it's never been boring. There's been good stuff and there's been bad stuff, and that's great for a writer. That's the truth yeah. right there. Always content, content, content. <laughs> well, I have to ask you, um, and I'll ask Doug as well, because we've heard these names bannered about. You have Sutter and you have uh, Erickson there. Erickson really wants out. If you had to put a dime or a dollar down right now and say, this guy will not be here when the season rolls around, will it be uh, Sutter or will it be Erickson? Why? Well, I think you're going to have a hard time moving either guy at this point. I mean, Lucci straight last week probably shifts a little bit, but... I'm not sure who's really going to be interested in a guy that's getting as much money as Louis Erickson is and is not scoring. I mean, he's scored 32 goals since he showed up here. He doesn't seem to have a scoring touch anymore. He does lots of little things really well, but um, he's not he's not the meter mover that he once was. And Brandon Sutter had a terrible year, hasn't been playing great even without that. I mean, I think he's a decent enough fourth-line senator to get some salary on him. Um but I'm also not sure that that's going to be someone that they're looking to move either. They're, they're a bit skeptical, I think, on Adam Gaudet. Still needs some work, although they, you know, they like his future still. But I think in the short term, they're kind of sitting. Okay, we like. They at least perceive that they like. Um, they like Sutter. It's, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how things play out. Doug, what do you think? If you had to put a money down, who? What's the name leaving town? Oh. I'm going to say Erickson, just because uh, that's what you have written in the Google Doc that I'm currently looking at. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say Erickson only because I feel either he will be moved by the Vancouver Canucks to another team, or he'll be playing in Utica, and you guys will enjoy the $1.3 million in cap space that frees up. So, i seen that you posted on your Twitter there, Patrick, that he's projected to be at 90... 90 and a half points for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, does that make them a playoff team in the West, or does it not? Sorry, guys, just lost you there for a second. What was that? No problem. I was asking. I saw on your Twitter there that you had the uh, the post up that Vancouver oh, yeah, is going to be ninety and a half points. Yeah, I'm just wondering. Do you think what the additions they've made is it enough to make the playoffs? No, well, it's going to be touch and go. I mean, for starters, the 83 points last year, they had a bunch. They had, 
I can't remember off the top of my head, but they did very well in the shootout. It's something like 11 and two in shootout. You know, that's so that's a roll of the dice to repeat to year over year. And um, you know, at the end of the day, they still needed to find five more wins over the 83 points and to even have a touch of the playoffs. You know, 90 and a half from that one sports book. You know, I think, you know, it puts them on the edge, but you know, they, they don't. That should sort of remind you of how much, you know, realistically how much work is left to do. I mean, if they do get a great year from Pedersen's sake when Hughes hits the home run, you know, Bo Horvath continues to be the quality two-way player he's been. Brock Besser hits 40 goals. I mean, then we're, then we're talking, but that's asking a lot of things to play out. Not have, you know, injuries on the fence, which is a difficult thing to ask for Chris Hanev and Alex Edlitz. That's always been a challenge of theirs. Um, you know, they're better. They're better than they were last year. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but it, it, it's still... I don't think they're a lock to make the playoffs, and it's a challenging conference. I mean, the, the, most of us seem to think five teams are going to come out of the Central Division, which leaves you at three spots. And so, do you think the Canucks are better than Vegas, San Jose, or or um, or uh, or Calgary? I mean, that 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 really is what your question is. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it, it's it's going to be a lot tighter, I think, but uh, it's still it's still still got a ways to go. Who do you think will make it to the uh, Stanley Cup Finals first, Toronto or Vancouver? <laughs> oh, Toronto, without a doubt. I mean, there's just more depth there. There's more top, there's more talent top to bottom. They're, they've been smarter about how they've assem- assembled sort of the fringe of their lineup. You know, you you mentioned, you know, the Jay Beagle. Jay Beagle's a nice guy, but, like, you know, they're paying a lot of money for fourth-line center, and you should be spending your money at top end and, and quite smart moves in the depth. And they just haven't done that to this point. Okay, James, I like this guy, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> So far, he said everything nice about Toronto. I'm just wondering what he's going to say mean. Um, Patrick, the, the whole crux of us getting to talk the other day was um, your article about the NHL-CHL agreement and how it doesn't help the development of Canadian juniors one bit. Um, I wanted to get your feeling on that, and Doug is a huge uh, junior hockey guy. He's the voice of the OJHL, so I want to hear your guys' spin on this and, and just sit back and listen because for myself, my only thought is I think if a player is surpassing his peers in a league, he should be rightfully moved up to higher competition yeah. to yeah. help grow his game and become a better player. Um, I'll let you and Doug have the floor. I want to hear about this. Well, I mean, I think I go with, with um, you know, what, what what was a key element in the in the story, I think, was, was talking about, you know, when I talked to percent Iyer is the guy that I interviewed from Detroit and he pointed out, he said, essentially, you know, you, it, it, it's not it's not the Canadian players are any less talented. It's just there's literally a limit against them, and we see that it pushes, it keeps them from coming out of major junior for two years, and there's literally an impact on their time frame making the NHL. They make the NHL two years later than comparable players from sort of the best, I would say the best, you know, non-North American junior development countries which are Finland and Sweden and Finland Finnish and Swedish players have been on the whole making the NHL two years quicker and um, that's entirely because the, the, you know the sort of the, the kids who would benefit the most from going to a place like the American Hockey League aren't aren't the top end draft picks but it's the kids in the second tier who deserve to be pushed and they're you know they're kept in major junior and that benefits major junior teams because it makes their teams better and and, uh, you know, I think they, you know, theoretically make more money off of that. But um, to me, that, that isn't serving the interests of the player. And 
And, uh, you know, I, I do find it kind of baffling in the NHL side now, especially that there is such a premium on younger players that uh, they still stand up for. I, I, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if it will actually change. But um, that, that was kind of the main premise. And, then, you know, at the end of the day, too, I'm, 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 I'm not going to lie. It's pretty obvious to pay attention to me. I'm a, I'm a pro-worker, pro-labor kind of guy. And telling kids simply because they're from Canada that they can't make money when they're 18, 19 years old... <laughs> But, you know, kids at the same age in Sweden can do it. It's just, you know, to me, it's just, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, if, if, we're, if we're limiting, if, if we're already closing off one door, why are we closing off another? So, you know, if they were making money, it might, you know, obviously to feel different about it, but that's kind of the long and short of how I feel about it all. The, the league that I work in, the the Ontario Junior Hockey League, it bills itself as the league of choice. So the idea is that you come and you can choose to, to go and play in the OGHL and maintain your NCAA eligibility. And to me, that just how complicated it is for a kid to decide what's like, is am I playing for an education? Am I trying to get this to pay for itself? Do I think I have enough skills? You can't make that judgment as a player. You don't know if you're good enough. Even scouts aren't sure if you're good. How many how many uh, first-round draft picks never make it into the NHL or play like less than a dozen games in the NHL? It happens all the time. Skill at a young age just isn't the greatest indicator of, of long-term skill and how you're going to succeed in the NHL if you're if you truly are an NHL player. And making kids make that decision is just crazy. Uh, something has to change. Like there just there shouldn't be two junior hockey leagues in Canada. There shouldn't be a tier two and a tier one. There should be one combined. I really think that it sh- it should be. If there is, then it sh- the uh, OHL and AHL need to be more integrated with each other in some way. Uh, it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense the way it is right now. So I enjoyed reading your article quite a bit. Uh, it makes it spoke to me as as someone who works in junior hockey. That's, that's nice of you to say. I mean, the other thing I think to be clear, it was funny. You know, you always see the reaction. There's always people that you know don't quite get the point, and that's sort of the nature of the beast. But you know, I, I think the other thing that's to be clear is that getting rid of the agreement won't affect most of these kids. It, you know, there's a very small proportion of players that that will actually benefit because most of them at 18 18 probably actually aren't ready to jump up to the American Hockey League. Yeah, for um, sure. But, but there is clearly a, a wave of prospects uh, that would benefit. And like I said, and there's also just the fact that, like, you know, if these kids were born in Sweden, they're probably making money. And that's kind of, I just find that a, a weird dichotomy. It's not the huge part of my angle, but it, it, it just, you know, I can't, I literally can't swear it in my head. Me neither. <laughs> no, that's true. Well, Patrick, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I know it is a busy time for you. Um, yeah. Where can people find your work? Where can people find you? And uh, just let it all out there, man. I'm, well, I'm on Twitter at Rising Action and uh, on, on Instagram, which is mostly not running because it's summertime, but I do uh, kind of track the travels on the road and what I'm covering at. It's at Patty J on the road. Um, but, yeah, I'm always happy to hear from people. You know, send me a message. Shoot me what's up. Or, uh, you know, I... I do get the odd email still, and uh, I'm always happy to answer those. C. Johnson at postmedia.com, and of course, all my stuff at problemsports.com. Well, again, we appreciate you having on. Thanks for stopping by, and uh, we will talk to you again throughout the season, my friend. Thanks, boys. I really appreciate it. Cheers.